Open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 1. We're going to start verses 14 through 17. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll bring one out to you. Romans 1, chapter, four, chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. Paul speaks and he says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. As we've been going through this on Thursday night, we've talked about how Paul is in the city of Corinth at this time. He spent three years there in this city. Corinth was a very corrupt city, just a lot of crazy living. And it was in this city and in this context that he writes this epistle to the church that is there in Rome. And as he starts off in this passage that we're talking about, the first thing he says is that he's obligated. And wonder, why is he obligated? Well, in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 through 16, we saw that at his conversion, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man, which is Paul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer. For my name. And so at the very beginning, Paul was given a decree by God himself of what he needed to do. And part of that decree was that he was to go to the Gentiles to preach to their governors, to their kings, as well as to the Jews. And so he was obligated because God had given him something to do, given him a task. And I wonder, what are we obligated to? We all have obligations. If you're a parent, you have obligations to your children, obligations to your spouse if you're married, to your work, to your school, to do your homework. We all have obligations to do certain things, but what is our obligation to God? And what has he called us to do? And do we see it as an obligation? Do we see it as something that we have to do? Because Paul is obligated now to go to preach this gospel to them at Rome. And he says he's supposed to do it to the Greeks and to the non-Greeks, to the wise and to the foolish. And I can't wait to get to you there at Rome. I wonder if they're wondering at Rome, which one are we? Are we the wise, the foolish? I can't wait to get this gospel and, and to preach it to you. I'm obligated. It is something that I am constrained. I have to do this. 
because God has put it within me. It is my calling. It, it is the fulfillment of what my life is to be. And it just made me think, what am I obligated to do for God? What has God spoken to my life to do? Because maybe it's not like Paul to go and preach to the Jews, the Gentiles, the wise, the foolish. Maybe it's just to those at work. Maybe it's to be an example. Maybe it's to be a good mom. Maybe it's to be a good worker. I don't know. That's what God speaks to you. But you see, God does speak. I was talking to a gentleman Monday night, and we were talking, and he was sharing with me some things that he's going through, some struggles, and he said that you know he wanted to to do this. He's he's coming to to be baptized, and he wants to be baptized, and he knows that once he's baptized, that he has to make a decision to to change his life because that's what that's about. And I got to share with him, you know, God has already told you what to do. You're just putting it off till the baptism. But God's told you to do it already. You you've heard His voice tell you you need to make these changes in your life to start living this way you're now obligated to what God has told you to do because when God tells you something you're supposed to do it that's what we parents have been saying to our children for years right clean your room I didn't mean tomorrow Anyone else use that line? I meant now. Whatever that line is, you've used it. I'm asking you to do something. This is not a suggestion. I'm asking you to do something, and God is saying, I want you to make some changes here. You're, You're obligated to make those changes. And what an amazing thing. As I was talking to him, I think, just stop and think about this. You have sensed that God has told you to make a change in your life. Do you realize how incredible that is? That the God who created heavens and earth and everything in them has spoken to you, that has given you insight on what you were supposed to do with your life. Do you understand what that is? That's incredible. obligated. And when God speaks to us, ministers to our heart, change this, go here, do this, stop this, you're obligated. You're obligated to do what he's asked you to do, even if it's not something that's easy or something you would most likely be inclined to do naturally. Paul is going to Rome. We know from chapter 18 of the book of Acts that there was a period of time where they kicked all the Jews out of Rome. It was a very prejudiced city, very anti-Semitic. There was a lot of hostility towards the Jews, of which Paul was. It was a very corrupt city. Moral corruption, political corruption. It was a violent city. 
And it was becoming even more hostile towards those of the Christian faith, especially now that Nero is in charge, who had a, a violent history with those who were Christians, who persecuted them, put them in the Colosseum, would <clears throat> wrap them up in lambskins, sew them so that they were onto their bodies, and then throw them into the Colosseum and then unleash lions or wolves, and they would be torn apart and saying, you're the lambs, you're God's lambs, are you? And he would mock them as they would be ravaged by these animals. He was known to have taken a thousand Christians, dipped them in wax, set them on poles around his garden and set them on fire to light his garden. And mock them, you're the light of the world. And Paul says, I can't wait to get to Rome. I can't wait to get out of Rome. That's my thoughts, but this is what Paul is going into. And he says, I feel obligated to this, and I can't wait to get there. And then he goes on and he says that I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, the word ashamed is a feeling of inferiority or unworthy, restrained by anticipation of shame. It's more than feeling embarrassed. It's more than just, oh, I'm ashamed to show my face there because last time I was there, you know, I tripped and fell and made all kinds of noise and, you know, or last time I did this. We, we've all been embarrassed. We've all had those kinds of things, but that's not what's talking about here. <laughs> I just thought about it. I was, that, that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, I am not ashamed. And it has to do with, I'm not going to shrink back. I'm not ashamed. I'm not afraid to go into this situation because I don't think that I can handle it. Remember, this violent situation, this hostile situation... I can't wait to get there. In fact, I'm obligated to get there, and I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Sometimes I think we are afraid to share our faith and maybe it's just we're embarrassed. Maybe we don't want to be identified with all the kooks that are out there. And I'm like, oh, no, if I say I'm a Christian, they're going to think I'm one of those. You know, and I, my wife's going to have to get big hair. And, you know, I just, I don't want to be identified with that. And we might think that, or sometimes I think really what's happening is we're afraid that this message that we have is not strong enough to deal with what we're facing or the people that we're confronting. That we think that it is not up to the task. Mentally, we, we give it that place, but it doesn't show in how we really live. We don't think of it as being powerful which is what he talks about next, is the power. As he talks about power, 
the word that's used for power is the word dunamis. It means dynamic, dynamite, explosive. It is the dynamite of God. Remember when you'd buy fireworks when they were legal and you could use them? You knew which ones, you know, well, am I going to get the Red Devil or am I going to get the Freedom? Well, you know, last time we got these because they were better. You know, they were more powerful. And then if you go to Mexico, <laughs> you can get some really powerful ones. Now, they're not legal. I don't recommend this for any of you. But they're a lot better. They're powerful. What is the dynamite of God? What kind of fireworks does God have? And as Paul is going into the most powerful city in the world, the city that is oppressive, the city that is conquering the world, the city that is known throughout the world, it was said, all roads lead to Rome. Paul says, if I can get into Rome and unleash the power of God, it will spread throughout the world. It will shake the foundation of Caesar's throne. And it did. And it did. This little Jewish rabbi goes into this magnificent city, this powerful city, with this powerful message. And we're sitting here thousands of years later, not talking about Nero, except in the derogatory terms, but we're talking and reading this little Jewish rabbi's words. The Apostle Paul had more power, more impact on the world than the Roman Empire. Do, do we understand the power of God? Do we understand how, if I can just get there and unleash this, it will change everything? And so those who might be thinking, oh, Paul's afraid to come to Rome because you know how Rome is persecuting the church and Rome is hostile to the Jews. And, you know, I don't know about this gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to shrink back from this. Even as the psalmist said, Lord, I will not be put to shame if I trust in you. Psalm 25, it says, let all who trust in the Lord not be put to shame. Let not their enemies triumph over them. Why? Because God is with us. We will not be put down. We will not shrink back. We do not have to worry. The power of God is on our side. And if one little man with this powerful message can go into this powerful city and set it loose, what can we do with the same message and so we too need to be obligated to God to not be ashamed, not shrink back, to recognize that what we carry, this gospel message, is the very power, the dynamite of God. And it can change the world. It can change that family member's life. Oh, no, not them. They'll never come to faith. They're so far from God. I'm not ashamed. I'm obligated. I'm not going to shrink back in taking this message there. Oh, not into this community. Not in this country. You know, this country is terrible. There's no, you know, 
yeah, Christians just don't do well. Missionaries don't do well in this country. Are you kidding me? You think that country was more hostile than Rome? That lit Christians on fire? No, it's, it's not the country. It's not the, the person. It's not the community. It's not leashing this message. It's not being obligated to what God has given us and not taking this power and recognizing it for what it is. That's the problem. We, we've made it ineffective because it's ineffective in our lives. It's not powerful in our lives. And we're ashamed. We're, we're afraid. What if I share and they think I'm stupid? What if, what if it can't really do what I, I'm saying it can? It can. And it can do more. It can do more. The gospel. What is the gospel? You know, sometimes it, it's easier to understand things by what they're not rather than trying to explain what they are. And in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul said, I'm astonished, talking to the Galatian church, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by, grace, by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Turning from the grace of Christ is a different gospel, so it means this gospel is the grace of Christ. It is the forgiveness of sins. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 that this gospel is that Jesus died according to the scriptures, was buried, and on the third day rose again according to the scriptures. This is the gospel message, that Jesus died for your sins. The grace of Christ. God gave himself for you. That's the good news. That's the gospel message. And we need to recognize that when we are talking about the power of God, this dynamite of God, okay, what is it? It is the grace of Christ. That's what's able to change a person's life. We just sang about it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The grace of God that's been poured out to us given to us. The grace of Christ is the good news. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. Those three historical facts are the gospel message for the world. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? Really? That can change? Those three things changed the Roman Empire? Conquered? That empire, so that in A.D. 300, Constantine finally said it, Christianity is the world religion. Everyone now is Christian. Don't know that was a good thing. But it changed. It affected so many people that he had to acknowledge it. In 300 years, changed the Roman Empire. That gospel message, those three things. And we know those things. Now, he talks about, is the power of God, this gospel message, to salvation? Salvation. What is salvation? The word salvation means healthy. But it's more than just a physical health. It is a health of the soul. It is a health of the being, a health of your spirit. And so salvation is something that it makes you complete. It, it makes you whole. And I know we tend to think of salvation as 
something that happened. And salvation definitely is connected to the past. Salvation is something that has happened when you've been saved or what we call justification. And in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Past tense. This is something that has happened. God has taken your sin, your condition, and has brought health to it, has brought wholeness, has given you the cure. And so the justification for your condition and my condition, that's a part of salvation. That's something that we make a decision to and that we could say, yeah, that happened on this day. On this day, I made a decision to allow God to make me healthy, to make me whole, to justify me in his sight, to make me righteous, to make me right in his sight. I made a decision for salvation on that day time, that day, someplace in the past where we, we know this happened. We raised our hand. We went forward to an altar call. We said a prayer in our car. Whatever it might have been, we communicated with God and said, God, I need you. I need to be forgiven. I need to be cleansed from my life. I need this. And God justified us because we believed in his gospel message. Jesus died for my sins, was buried and rose again. Something that took place. But you see, salvation isn't just that. Salvation is also something that is taking place where we are still being saved. It's not just something that happened in the past. It's something that is taking place presently. In Corinthians 1.18, Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Being saved. It's an ongoing process. It's not just something that happened one time. It's something that's still happening. God is still changing me. He is still dealing with me. He's still cleansing me. Is he doing that with you guys too, or is it just me? Okay. We're all in need of this change that has to take place. In Matthew one twenty one, it talked about Mary giving birth to the Son, and he will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It doesn't say their sin singular. Now he's not talking about their condition. He's talking about the things of their life. And you see, God is still changing us from the things in our life that we need to be changed from. This is good news. I mean, don't, don't think this is bad news. This is, this is something good. God is still working. Isn't that great? God is still changing me. God is still saving, making me healthy. He's still making me whole. This is an ongoing part of this relationship we have with the living God. We are being saved. We are being transformed, changed by the renewing of our minds, by the cleansing of our bodies, putting away the deeds of the flesh. All these things are part of the salvation process that is taking place. And also, salvation is in the future. 
Our salvation is near. This is dealing with our glorification. We've dealt with justification, sanctification, God separating us. And now this talks about glorification. In Romans 13, 11, it says, And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. If it's nearer, that means it's still off into the future. Romans chapter 8 says we eagerly wait for the redemption of our bodies. Amen. We're waiting for that redemption. We are looking for that salvation. It is a hope that we have still for the future. So God has saved us, is saving us, and has salvation for our future. We are surrounded by salvation. This hold. I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. It is the power of God to bring salvation. To take you from this point and get you to this point. That's what salvation is. And that's what God is able to do. He's able to save to the uttermost. That means from the beginning, present, future. God is at work in your lives saving us. And promising us that hope for the future. Salvation. And then he says, to everyone who believes, to believe. What does it mean to believe? Well, belief is really faith. That's what, faith is kind of the spiritual word for believe. The definition for faith is something that is believed, especially with strong conviction. It's belief. You believe in something. You have faith in something. Every now and then I'll be driving and I'll turn on the radio if I, I start seeing traffic slowing down. Turn it out to KFWB. Give them 22 minutes, they'll give me the world. And I wait for the traffic reports on the ones. The other stations, it's on the fives. I've got it planned. I can look at my time. Okay, I can get the traffic report. And someone will come on and they'll, you know, might be in a helicopter or whatever they are. All of a sudden, this person will start speaking over my radio and saying, there was an accident on the 10 freeway in Pomona. Traffic's backed up. If you're heading eastbound, going up to the Kellogg Pass. Something like that. And because I hear this guy on the radio, I said, oh. I do. I say, oh. I'm going to take the 210. That way I don't get stuck in the traffic there on the 10. What I just did was faith. I believed the guy on the radio. I believed that he, he's telling me the truth. He's telling me there's accident here, there's going to be traffic. And so I redirected my life based on what he told me because I believed it, took it by faith, made a change, went up to the 210, down the 210, made it home quicker. I believed what he said, acted on it, and it changed the direction that I was going. God has spoken us through the Scripture. 
He's given us his voice. If we will believe what he says, we'll make life directional changes. That's faith. I, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that he was buried, that he rose again. And so I believe that I am now obligated to him. I have been bought with a price. I am no longer my own. I belong to him. And so I, I am to glorify God with my body, with my life. I, I have been saved. He has justified me in his presence. He is now sanctifying me, separating me, saving me for his purpose. And I have hope to be glorified one day. I believe that. And so I am going to change my life and make another turn and live in this direction because I believe. That's faith. That's what we do with this gospel message. We change our direction. We believe it. And he tells us that the glory, the righteousness from God is revealed in this. I love the way that's worded because this relationship with God, this understanding of who God is, it's, it's this way, how, how do you understand God? How can I explain God? How can I know what to do? Do you realize that everywhere in this world there are religions and millions of millions of people who want to know how to be right with God? They're giving up food. They're praying in a certain direction, in a certain manner. They're doing all kinds of things, just hoping for the, the possibility, the chance that by somehow maybe I can connect to God, maybe I can be right with God, just a chance I can do the right thing to, to know God. And, and Paul is saying, to get right with God, the righteousness of God is revealed through this gospel message. It is revealed by faith. The gospel is revealed, that is, by faith, from first to last, from beginning to end, from faith to faith. It's all faith. Just as it is written, the righteous, those who are right before God, will live by faith. What is faith? It's believing in. It's making the decision to allow him to speak into our lives and run our lives in that direction. It's being obligated to God because we believe in him. Not because we have to, but because he has saved us, is saving us, and has glory for us in the future. This is our lot in life. It's health. It's salvation. And it belongs to us who believe. And what an amazing thing that we can reveal God and how to get right with him just by believing in what he's done. 
that you don't have to earn it. You don't have to work your way there. You don't have to say this, do that. Those things are produced out of the change in our life. I don't want to get stuck in traffic. I don't want to get in that traffic jam. God, I want my life to change direction. I'm going to change that direction. And all of a sudden, I find myself, wow, this freeway is pretty nice. Yeah, there's still hardship in life, but I'm right with God. God hears me. God is bringing health to my soul, even though there might be difficulty in my body. Righteousness of God is revealed by faith, by us believing in him. Okay, so what are we going to do? How can we reveal the righteousness of God? We need to believe. We need to believe. We need to put our confidence in him. He's not going to let us down. He's not going to drop us. I've shared with you guys, I think, once before that one time when I was trying to show off, as in my kindergarten, and the neighbor girl was there, and I was going to impress her. And so I got up on this tree, and I started going hand over hand on the branches, you know, just hanging there, thinking, yeah, this will really impress her. Hey, what do you think when you're, you know five years old. Anyway, I was there and I couldn't get back. I was stuck. And so there I am hanging on this tree and I, you know, did what any, you know, guy trying to impress a girl would do. I screamed, you know. <laughs> and I called for my uncle who was in the house and I said, oh, God, I'm going to die. You know, I'm really impressing her. And so, my uncle comes out and he's like, okay, all right, that's okay, I'm here, I'll catch you. And just let go, let go. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to let go, I'm going to let go. And so I let go. But between me and my uncle was a clothesline. And so one of my legs hit the clothesline and I just, whew, bam, hit the ground. Well, that's not what this is talking about, okay? That, that's, God, God's not going to drop us like that. He, he's going to catch us. There's no clothesline in the way. There, there's nothing that's going to separate us from being able to be in his hands. But the, you have to trust that he's going to catch you. Unlike my uncle, it wasn't his fault. God's not going to let you go. He's not going to drop you. You can trust him. Believe in him. Change your life direction and see if he doesn't empower your life with this message. Realize that you will carry with you the dynamite of God that is able to change the world around you if you believe. If you believe. And so our challenge this morning is let's believe. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would give us eyes to see, Lord, what is necessary for us to truly believe in you, to trust in you, to, to change our life's direction because we trust what you've said and what you've done. 
Lord, that we would allow you to not only save us by dedicating ourselves to you, but we would allow you to, to save us now, to change us now, to direct our lives now with the hope that awaits for us. Father, how much more could take place with us and through us if we recognize the power that is in this message of believing in your Son, that it is able to change lives, it's able to change communities, that it is able to change the world if we would just not be ashamed, not shrink back, not be afraid, but instead be obligated to you. You have saved us. You are working in our lives. How can we do anything less? Even as Martin Luther said, how can I but not obey? Lord, may we have that same conviction. Lord, I pray that you would help us to simply believe and allow you to change us and those around us. Lord, we do pray and ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.